Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi David Levincruz on Parashat Toldot. Get the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem by visiting elmod.pardes.org. And now, here is Rabbi David Levincruz. Hi everybody, Shabbat Shalom. If it is relevant, if it's close to Shabbat, I'm very, very happy to be together with you today. Um, I'm going to start with a piece of shameless self-promotion that in 2016 I did a podcast on Parshat Pinchas and it was called Yaki Iki Problematic Jewish Texts and it dealt with all the strategies, all the different ways that rabbis and others have used to, de- to, deal, it's almost to deal with texts that are difficult from an ethical, moral, legal perspective Texts that seem very outdated, perhaps, or shocking, even. And uh, that was theoretical, and I looked at all the different ways that one could do it. Today, we're actually going to do it practically. In Parashat Toldot, we have two of these problematic moments. We have when Jacob sells his, when Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for some soup. And of course, the question is, why did Jacob not just give him? the soup. And we also have the story about how Jacob tricked his father Isaac to give him the bracha, to give him the blessing. And what we're going to do is we're going to do what I did in Parsha Pinchas, but with an actual Parsha. We're going to look at the different strategies that are used to try and explain these stories, which many people find morally problematic. But let's actually start off by looking at the stories themselves and seeing if there's any hint in the story as it's told itself of trying to excuse or understand the characters. So looking at the first story, the first text you have on your page, Breshit 25, 9, 29 to 34. One day, Jacob is cooking a stew, he's making some nice soup, and Esav comes in from the open and it says, Ayef. He was, um, he, he was tired, but literally, but they translated famished the JPS. And he says to him, Give me some of that red, red stuff. He says, because I am hungry. Um, and Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. Very nasty thing to do, taking advantage of somebody when they're down. And why should he? And Esav says, um, Esav says to him, I'm about to die. So what use is my birthright to me? In other words, he's in a terrible state. But that's not enough for Jacob. He won't even believe. He says, swear to me first. So he swears to him. He sells the birthright. Jacob then gives Esav bread and lentil stew. He eats and he drinks and he gets up. It's uh, the Hebrew is very powerful. He ate and he drank and he got up and he went. These small short verbs you definitely just see, you know, thing. And it says, And the JPS translated as, Thus did Jacob spurn the birthright. I think that's actually a very, very good translation. He has, um, and it's a critic. Of him, it could just mean that he gave it up, but 
this bear's waist. It's like, for, look for this small thing. Asaph gave the birthright. The comment seems to be implying that even if he was very, very hungry, it wasn't something you would give your birthright over. You shout, you scream, you ask somebody else for food. The story later on is more problematic even, and that is that Isaac, we know the story, many of us, but it can, can't harm to be repeated. Um, Isaac is about to give his son Esau the blessing because he's the firstborn. Rivka, the mother of Isaac and Esav, don't, 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 doesn't, she doesn't want this to happen. So she, um, so Isaac tells Esau to go and hunt and get him some food. And instead what happens is that Isaac dresses up as Esau gives him some meat, which has been prepared by Rivka, receives the blessing. But of course, as in any good soap opera, suddenly Esau comes up. I don't know how, and we'll discuss this later, did they really not expect to be discovered? We'll see one of the commentators say that later. And I'm just give, gave you, Brashid 27, 32 to 36, the end of the story, which I just found full, find full with pathos. Isaac says to him, who are you? And he says, Again, those small words. I am your son, your first son, Esav. And suddenly, he's filled with violent trembling. says, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? Moreover, I ate of it before you came and I blessed him. Now he must remain blessed. And Esau knows what happens. It's so pathetic. He shouts, a, a big and bitter cry and says it's, says to his father, bless me too, father. And he answers, and it's a very strong criticism. Your sad brother came with guile and took away your blessing. And Asaph says, Hello, it's Bracha, don't you have even a small blessing for me? And he does indeed get a Blessing, a very, very pathetic scene. I see nothing, I'm sure. Some other people may see words in here that imply that there was justify what Jacob did. I don't see it. But let's have a look at how different people have tried to make sense of this. Interestingly, early non-Jewish um, Bible critics, Gunkel and Spizer, they see it almost like a Purim spiel. They say the folksy nature of the tale is intended to make listeners or readers laugh at the way the stupid Esau stumbled into a trap laid by the clever Isaac. The, the, you have a goat cooked to taste like venison, kid-skinned hands, a bumbling old father, a mother behind the door. It really does seem like some Victorian um, comedy. And they say it was an acceptable means of achieving God's purpose because when these stories were first told, morality and religion were not as clearly fixed or closely connected. Very typical early Bible critics. You know, those people didn't know very much. But the claim is that morality and religion are not connected then, and even it's not clear what's moral and what's immoral. Again, in Jewish texts, we'll see something similar to that very um, soon. But it's very, very interesting, I think, this idea of looking at it in some way as a, um, as a Purim spiel, as a funny story. Looking now at Jewish texts, if we look at Breshit 25-23, when Rivka is pregnant, 
God says to who? He says to Shnei Goyim Bebitnech, there are two nations in your womb, and two governments will separate from inside you. This poor woman is pregnant. He says, the upper hand will go from one government to the other one. And the the greater will serve the younger. In other words, there's a prophecy. And Rivka realizes that this prophecy has got to take place. And the way to do it, if it isn't happening, is for her to take it into her own hands and to make sure it takes place. So the first one, well, the first one is really saying it's a Purim spiel. The second idea is saying it's part of God's plan. It had to happen this way. And therefore, if you had to trick a little bit to do it, so be it. Baba Batra, and this is a very, very typical thing for the Talmud to do, says Asa was a wicked person. If you look at the text, it's very hard to see him as really being a wicked person. I've probably said this in a podcast before, but when I was in yeshiva, I started the anti-Asif defamation league, saying that he'd really been given a raw deal. But if you look at the second text on your, or the second, um, the, the, the fourth text on your page, Baba Batra 16, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, Chamesh Averot Avar He did five terrible sins on that one day. Just that one day, and then it, it says he he dishonored a betrothed maiden. Maiden, he committed a murder. He denied God. He denied the resurrection of the dead, and he spurned the birthright. These nice people are not just taken at random. They're not just, just taken at random, the sins. Dishonoring a betrothed maiden, murder, and denying God. These are the three cardinal sins that one needs to accept death before committing. Gilur Ayot, Retzach. And um, Avodah Zarah. So he did all of those. In addition, he denied the resurrection of the dead, which the Mishnah in Sanhedrin says that you lose your place in the world to come. And finally, he spurned the birthright. He was not prepared to be part of the family, not part of the future of the Jewish people. And then using a technique called Gezeira Shava, which means you find words from one place that mean something in another place. And you say that there's a connection. They take the pasuk of Isaac coming from the field, which we just looked at. And it said that, and it finds ways to prove that the usage of the word says that he took advantage of a betrothed maiden, that he committed murder, that he denied God, that he denied resurrection of the dead. And of course, rejecting the birthright is in the actual text. Um, somebody else also said that Ayef, that he was tired, he was tired of life, he was tired of being part of the people, he was ready to let go. So, and the next way of dealing with it is to say he was a bad person. He deserved it, he was a bad person, they might have had to trick to get it, but he didn't deserve the birthright. Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch, talking about the, about the soup, says, both of them were just boys 15 years old. So the birthright could only have been sold in boyish places. Don't take it seriously. Jacob was just behaving like an annoying teenager. And it wasn't really, he didn't really mean it. You see different strategies, different ways. Purim spiel, part of a prophecy. Asaph was a bad person. Um, it, they didn't really mean it. Each one uses a different methodology. It's not that important. It's very important. It's um, Asaph was bad. 
um, the story shouldn't be taken seriously in all different directions, but all are trying to excuse it. The next hush is a little um, deeper or stronger, I should say, um, say, and he says, only if the inevitable discovery or act had been part of Rebecca's calculations can all her actions make any sense. And this is what I said before. She had to know she was going to be discovered. Esau had married two Hittite women. In other words, he was not being part of the Jewish people or the Israelite people, the Israelite tribes. If anything could have opened eyes to his elder son's utter unworthiness, this act should certainly have done so. But Isaac was blind physically and psychologically. And he perhaps loved Esau because he was the opposite of him. Isaac was the, Isaac was the learner, the quiet one, and Esau was the hunter. He was blinded to um, Esau's faults. Perhaps Rebecca had been stalling for a time in the hope that she would manage to bring about Isaac's dissolution. What is she going to do? And she says, I'm now going to trick Isaac. I'm going to show him. If even Jacob, a single-minded man, could be a hunter, if you could think that this Tom called Jacob could be a hunter, maybe you will see that Esau is only pretending to be a Tom, a good, sincere person, and is really a hunter. It's a trick. It's a way for her to say to her husband, look, you're making the wrong decisions and see that he's been deceived all his, um, all his life. So this one is saying that it was all a plan, an educational um, action, if you will, to have Isaac see the truth. The Etz Chaim, um, which is the conservative commentary, or one of the conservative movement commentaries on the Tanakh, he sa says, the reader may wonder why Isaac exacts a price for the stew rather than act like a brother and give Esau what he needs. Indeed, I did wonder that. It gives a psychological answer. Jacob may resent Esau's privileges based on his being older by a matter of minutes in The Crown. If any of you have watched The Crown, I don't want to give too much spoilers, but at least in some of it, Margaret, as a little girl, is seen feeling that way about Elizabeth, who would become the queen. Like, why, just because you're older, do you get what I want? And here it's twins. It's just a few minutes. Let's look at this poem. Um going in a similar way, but bringing up many classic understands, ideas. Amy K. Blank writes, Think you he was so easily misled that blindness made confusion possible between the son he thought loved and him who he must bless? He says, don't be ridiculous. Isaac knew what was going on. He blessed because he must, because God wrought in him. Isaac knew what was going on and Isaac went along with it because he knew that this was part of what God happened. At such a time, can our chap trickery prevail? He knew this was the blessing of the chosen son, cross-purposed and reversing, it might seem, the destiny of generations. Strange and repetitious are God's ways with man. And this one is saying, Isaac knew he was in on it. He wasn't really tricked. He, like Rivka, knew that this was what was going to happen or what should um, should happen. Um, it could also be, as some people say, um, there was Nachum Sana, the um, biblical, um, sorry, sorry, not Sana, but somebody else says that it was some type of an early opposition to pure inheritance, that all these stories 
where the second child inherits and not the first is some kind of a polemic against the current times where the firstborn always got everything. A few general comments. In some ways, the rabbis and others who are thinking of these ideas are doing exactly the same as what they claim the characters are doing. They, the characters in some way, found ways to trick or to, for things to be all right. The rabbis are finding strategies um, that allow them to keep to the morality of the text while also um, not having to um, not having to give up what they uh, believed. The in some way, the mere fact that they feel they need to do it reinforces the values, the general values as opposed to the oppositional values. But I sometimes wonder about all this weaseling around, all this strategizing, all these um, maneuvers, these tactics that they do. It's like what educationally goes on. It's like if you are can say, well, it looked like what he was doing was wrong, but it was really right because it was needed for the future or because he really knew. To my mind, it's a very small step to actually putting this in your personal life and saying, well, it looks as if I'm cheating, but it really isn't because I really deserve it. And I do sometimes wonder whether it may be better just to outright say, we have problems with these texts. This is what they believed. This is what we really think should happen. I do wonder educationally what these strategies do to our sense of morality. Um, the, um, and we see in, in many ways that Jacob sort of, first of all, he realized what had happened and he said that what um, Isaac realized what happened, he said what Jacob did was wrong. But Jacob himself is tricked. He has a difficult life. His son tricks him too. Um, his son's trick him true. And it almost is a feeling as if the Bible is saying what I'm saying. The rabbis might have tried to pretty it up, but the Bible is saying what he was going to do, that what he did was wrong. And perhaps we will finish with Sarna. This is what I wanted to quote from Nakam Sarna. He said, the Bible's disapproval is explicit and remarkable at a time when what Jacob did was perfectly acceptable. And to my mind, perhaps that's the strongest idea that we need to perhaps use less strategies and more just able to say, sometimes people do wrong things and we value and remember these stories because we have something to learn from them. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Rabbi Michael Hatton discusses Parashat Vayetze. Thanks for listening.